0: Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Let's go ahead and get into the Word real quick this evening. Hallelujah. Let's begin. I want to take my time and not take a lot of time, but I, years ago when I began to serve the Lord on what I would describe as the level that I am now, um, God sent someone into my life, a tremendous preacher, still is, he's a powerful uh, evangelist, his name is Mark Hankins, and Mark, specializes on teaching and redemption on redemption the subject of redemption and the lifestyle i was living before i got right with god had a lot of death in it and you know death can condition you and what i mean by that is is anything that's sin is death so if you ever lived a lifestyle that had a lot of sin in it then you were involved in a lot of death and uh, understand this, especially for what we're teaching on tonight, the word death in its reference to um, humanity does not mean the cessation of life. You know, one of these plants were to die, well, we'd just go throw it away, it would cease to exist. In the animal kingdom, the animals are, animals are dualistic. There is an element of spirit to them, but they're dualistic mostly. They have a body and a soul. That's why you can train a horse or a dog. Uh, uh, but they're not, they're, they're not spirit beings like human beings are. But human beings are spirit beings. And because they're spirit beings, the word death does not mean the cessation of life. It means separation. Physical death is exactly that. It actually says it in the book of James, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Your spiritual uh, being, the spiritual part of you, if you could reach into somebody's physical body and grab a hold of their spirit and pull it out, their body fall over dead on the floor. Separation. All your loved ones, my loved ones, that that, that, that are in the grave are not in the grave. They're not there. There was a... There was a um, uh, funeral director here on the uh, island, and uh, someone had lost their son. Actually, it was a pastor had lost their son in a, in an accident. He had drowned, and they were just they were just heartbroken. You could imagine how heartbroken. I think the young man was in in his mid twenties and. And, you know, uh, uh, all of his life, had his whole life ahead of him. He was drowned uh, up on Lake Livingston. A, a boat flipped over and drowned him. And so he was, uh, the, they drove up and got his body. And the parents met the, the funeral director at the, at the, at the funeral home. And, and, man, he could see how brokenhearted they See, And he just prayed. He said, Lord, what can I, there's nothing I can say. There's nothing I can do to, to alleviate their pain. He said, all of a sudden, he said he got this idea. And he said that young man was laying there on that, on that uh, table where they were going to prepare his body for burial. And he said he went over and he doubled up his fist and he just hit it as hard as he could. And he hit it again as hard as he could. And he hit it again as hard as he said those he said those parents, he said they like to freak out. They stepped back and said, and then he looked at him and said, see, he's not here. And that right there instantly began to take and taper the grief that was on the inside of them. He wasn't there. Now, the shell of the body he used to be in, it, it was there, but he wasn't there. Now, that shows us well, what death is. And that's, that's one thing we must understand. Death is actually, there's a trifold meaning to death when it comes to the human experience. Now, we know the first death showed up right there in Genesis when man sinned, he died. Well, when they ate of the fruit and sinned, they didn't fall over dead. But what happened is they became separated from God. And when they got separated from God, they were separated from his life. From his provision, they were taken out of the garden. From his glory, from everything that was good about him and everything that was good about creation, man was separated from it. Now, eventually what happened, because people say, well, isn't it amazing over there in the book of Genesis, you read how long people lived. People lived 700, 800, 900 years. They didn't know how to die. It took them a long time to figure out how to die. But eventually being separated from God or spiritual death caught up with them and physical death happened. And because they were estranged from God, people that die spiritually, that are dead spiritually, when they die physically, they go to a place of eternal death and that's hell and that's why we have Island Church to keep every person that we can out of that place of eternal separation from God. Now, when I began to study the subject of redemption, it was actually before I went to Bible school. I was so glad that I was taught redemption when I was in Bible school. But I just needed some information that would help me die. Anybody ever felt like you just needed to die? Well, in reality, through redemption, that, was, that is what God has provided for you is a death. Now, let's read a couple of scriptures here. And I wanted to get into the, to the letters to the church in the book of Acts so we could see this, not just the, not just the uh, Good Friday portrait of the cross, but the letters to the church, X-ray of the cross, that actually can apply power to any area of your life, any area of your life that needs to die. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm telling you, there are habits and, and mindsets and, and ideas and prejudices and hate and all kind of stuff you just need to die too. Amen. Uh, there are also thing, religious things, religious ideas. There, you just need to die to that. And you say, well, I, there, is there any power in death? Yes, there is power in death. There's power to separate you from anything that's not of God. Now notice, let's read it here. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ, now this is the Paul, Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Galveston. Amen. It says, for Christ sent me not to baptize. This is actually speaking about water baptism. But to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words. Now notice this. Least the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Everybody say none effect. So there is an effect. Amen. Everybody say an effect. That means the cross can affect you in, a, in some way. He say, I don't think the cross has ever affected me. It has. You just may not know it. And once you realize how it has affected you, it may affect you a little more. Now, notice what it says. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross, the proclamation of the cross, to them that perish, it's foolishness. Everybody say foolishness. I mean, the world looks at the cross and says, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Why would somebody die on the cross? You know, uh, I heard some comedian one time mocking God, mocking Christianity. Yeah, all those people that worship that guy on a stick. Well, you know, that, he has no idea what he's talking about because that guy on a stick keeps people from going to hell. Amen. Now notice what it says. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. Who, who's saved in here? Actually, one translation says it like this. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So there's power in the cross. Everybody say that with me. There's power in the cross. Everybody say that again. There's power in the cross. Say it again. There's power in the cross. Now, where is that power and what is that power? If they they tell you about uh, having some type of power in your vehicle or power in your new vacuum cleaner or power in this or power, you've got to know how to access that power, how to utilize that power, and how to make that power work for you. Or what good is it? And so many Christians are ignorant to the power of the cross. They've never been taught on it. They don't understand it. They don't know how to apply it. But I'm going to give you just enough tonight to make you dangerous. Now, let's go to Acts. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7. I won't be a long time, but it'll be good. Amen? Now, I say that, and I don't want to make a liar out of myself, so you know how that goes. Now, the end of Acts chapter 7 is the, uh, the death of the great deacon of the church, Stephen. Stephen was not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He was just a deacon. Because he was a deacon, God was using him to win souls. God was using him to bless people. He's doing miracles. All this great stuff was happening. And I'm telling you, he preached a message to some people that got so mad at him, the Bible says they gnashed on him with their teeth. How would you like to preach a message like that? Verse 58 says, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Everybody say Saul. Now just drop down to chapter 8. You should be right there at the end of verse chapter 7. Drop down to chapter 8. And Saul, this is the same guy. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. Now listen to this in the Amplified. It says, But Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously, with cruelty and violence and entering into house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. Now, can you see this? Thank God there's not someone like that in Galveston. Now, he was not doing this for any civil reason. There was no Roman law against Christianity. Christianity. What they had done in that day is the Sanhedrin had so convinced the uh, Roman government that this Christianity thing was going to topple Rome and, and, and literally threaten Caesar that Rome allowed the Sanhedrin and the Levitical law to be enforced and gave authority to the Apostle Paul so he could go into Christians' houses and drag them out, beating them, torturing them. Some of them were probably killed or executed and threw them in prison. Well, this guy's a rascal, isn't he? I mean, he's a rascal. I mean, this guy's—he's just—I mean, he's just tearing the church to pieces. He's persecuting the church, and I'm telling you, what's behind it is a devil. He's doing the work of the devil. That's why people say, you know, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe uh, in speaking in tongues. I don't believe in laying hands on the sick. I don't believe in prophesying. I don't believe in prosperity. I say, well, neither does neither does the devil classify yourself. Now, go over to 2 Corinthians. Over to 2 Corinthians. We were in 1 Corinthians there. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is his second letter. Now, in between Acts chapter 7 and 8, we have Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul, who was at that time Saul of Tarsus went to the leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Levitical leaders, and got what we would call today arrest warrants. You ever see that show, Cops? You know, that, that's what it'd be like. You know, he's got all these arrest warrants, and he's on his way to arrest Christians. Now, right in the middle, and I'll tell you, I, if I had time, I could show you where the reason the, that, that Saul of Tarsus got saved, there were two reasons. Number one, the church was praying. Everybody say praying. That because Jesus taught his disciples, to pray for those that despitefully use you. So the church is praying. Secondly, his journey, if you'll get a Bible map and look, as he was going from Jerusalem to to, to Damascus, he had to go through all those areas where all those testimonies about Jesus was. There were people that used to be blind in those areas that saw again. There were people that used to be lepers in those areas that, are, that weren't lepers anymore. There were people in that area that used to be cripples. They weren't cripples anymore. There were people in that area that were dead. They weren't dead anymore. They'd been raised from the dead. So everywhere he went, there was what a testimony. of. So by the time he got to Damascus, he was ripe. Everybody say ripe. So listen, just on a side note, if you got loved ones and you've been praying for them and it looks like they're getting worse and worse and worse, you ought to rejoice. Because what they're doing is they're getting ripe. They're fixing to get born again. Amen. So a light shine, the Bible says a light shine. All his messages in the book of Acts started out. I was on the road to Damascus. And a light shine from heaven brighter than the noonday sun. And we know the, the rest of the story, how Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 13, the great church at Antioch. The Bible talked about separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. That became the Apostle Paul for the work where to called him. So he's doing the work that established the church in the Corinthians. Second letter to the church, chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness In the fear of God. Now this is the same guy who was breaking the down people's door and dragging them out for being Christians. Now he's talking about living holy and being mature perfect. Then he says this. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. Listen to it in Amplified. Do open your hearts to us again. Enlarge them to take us in. We have wronged no one. We have betrayed or corrupted no one. We have cheated or taken advantage of no one. Now what if you would have lived in Jerusalem some 15 years before that and he was the guy that came through your door as your children were screaming and bound you up and knocked you upside your head and drug you out of the street and threw you in the prison and you stayed there for six months or a year and he's saying now, receive me. I've wronged no man. I've corrupted no man. I've defrauded no man. You're kind of like going, yeah, right. Hey, Amen. Yeah, you mean, uh, hey, wait a second, buddy. I mean, aren't you the guy, aren't you that guy, Saul of Tarsus? Aren't you the one that came and beat our door? Did you know I spent 18 months in jail before I got out? My children had to go live with their grandparents while well, I sang in the choir of the church. Come on. And now this guy's saying I ain't wronged anybody. I have not defrauded anybody. Receive me. Amen. So obviously, something happened to this guy if he could reckon himself, now listen to this very closely, if he could reckon himself as being someone other than who he used to be. Now let me say that again. Obviously, something must have happened to this individual that he can reckon himself as being someone other than who he used to be. I'm not Saul of Tarshish anymore. I'm not him anymore. I, so actually, he was said, we'll see it in just a minute where he said this. I, Saul of Tarshish is dead. Now you say, well, what, what relevance? That's, that's way back in the Bible days. Pastor, what relevance does that have to us today? First of all, there's the picture of the crucifixion. That fateful day, and I don't want to get into all of the theological, you know, he didn't die on Friday and raise on Sunday morning. How many know that? He went into that tomb late on Wednesday afternoon, and as he suffered Thursday, Friday, and then the first day of the week was actually Saturday, uh, through Saturday, first day of the week was early Sunday morning, three days and three nights. Everybody say three days and three nights. Jesus himself said, as, as as Jonah was in the belly of the well, three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be where? In the heart of the earth. Now, so much significance to what took place on that day, in which the most just government. On the planet that it had ever been, this is the planet. This is the government, the Roman government, that instituted the court system, the lawyer system, the system of actually individuals having rights before a judge, someone to stand as an attorney and declare their to to, to declare their case before a court. No other, no other, no other society did that. The the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the uh, the Egyptians, the they just lop your head off. They didn't care about laws or justice. But for some reason, Rome did. And Rome created these laws and created these courts. And what's what's amazing is they were the highest order, the highest power on the world, on the planet. They were a world-dominating society. And they declared Jesus of Nazareth spotless. You say, what do you mean by that? We sang the song earlier, Worthy is the Lamb of God. What do they mean when they talk about him being the Lamb of God? When man fell and was separated from God, over a period of several hundreds of years, God raised up a nation called Israel. He found a patriarch named Abraham who would dare to get into a blood covenant with him. Through that blood covenant and over a bleeding sacrifice, the nation of Israel, certain people, prophets, priests, and kings had access to God. Through their covenant, they lived under what was called an atonement. Everybody say an atonement. That atonement was a covering for their sin, which means they had access access to God when they lived by the law of God. The blessing of God was in their life. But whenever they stepped away from that law, the blessing of God would leave them and the curse would come and the lamb would have to be killed and the blood would have to be spilled. And that happened year after year. After year, and then when it came to the dedication of the temple, it was thousands of lambs whose throats were cut and blood was spilled so that they could live under that atonement. This was a type of the last lamb. Everybody say the last lamb. Now, a lamb. I don't think there's anything more innocent. I don't think there's anything more non-threatening. I, I mean, I've never heard of a, uh, of a lamb tearing up much doing much harm there's something about them that's innocent there's something about them that's they need protection they need a shepherd they need you know you all you can talk all about how needy that but here's the thing they are what god required for that atonement under that covenant and then literally when john the baptist saw Jesus of Nazareth, walking toward him to be baptized in the Jordan River, he declared, Behold the Lamb of God, which was the first Messianic reference to Jesus being the one that would be offered up like a lamb by the priesthood who had been operating for 1,200 years. So they took him on that day. And they cried, Crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him. And they began the process by bringing him to the Roman government. And three different times Pilate said, no, I find no fault. I find no fault. See, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, I find no fault. He even offered up an alternate sacrifice, Barabbas by name. He said, you can take Barabbas and, 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 and crucify him. And they said, no. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible says if the princes of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Now, who was this man who they crucified? He wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just someone that did signs, wonders, and miracles. His destiny was not to perform those signs, wonders, and miracles, but he was God manifest in the flesh. Now, let me say this, and we'll go on. Uh, Knowing Christopher Alam and talking with him and, and, and understanding a little more about the Muslim religion, one of the reasons the Muslim religion is so resistant to Christianity is they cannot accept the fact that a God would come to this earth and die for them. We're actually in their prayers. They pray toward Mecca five times a day. They bow their knee and pray toward Mecca. And one of the prayers they pray literally has weaved through it a messianic reference when they pray this prayer. Oh Allah, they call him, oh Allah, would you give us a death in which there is no life? So that we must must have so we might have a life in which there is no death. So they took the Lamb of God, in whose blood. We'll celebrate communion in just a moment in whose blood there was no stain or taint or curse of the edemic fall. Because man's blood type comes from the Father. And all of our sin, all of our iniquity, everything that's wrong with us through our first birth came through our Father who got it from His Father, who got it from His Father, who got it from His Father, who got it from the Father of us all, Adam, the first man. But when Jesus was born, conceived, and brought to the earth by the Word of God, it was the Word of God and the seed of the woman that came together and produced this being who was 100% humanity and 100% deity. He was a man God. Everybody say man God. Now that's important. Remember that statement. Now this man God carried in his veins what was necessary to present before God upon the mercy seat that which would bring redemption to humanity, which was his precious blood. This is why if you can't fall in love with Jesus, you need to get saved. Because the more you study this and the more you study its relevance to your life, I mean to tell you it is one of the most amazing realities that there would be a God in heaven that created us, that saw his creation fall and saw his very uh, arch enemy enter into that creation and cause all kinds of havoc and trouble, but he would love us so much that he would come himself in the person of his son and redeem us from that curse so that we might be born again and not have to enter into eternal separation from him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So this man stood before Pilate. And he wouldn't say much. You say, why? Because he could have called a legion of angels at any moment. And they took the Roman soldiers, they took and they planted a crown of thorns and placed it where? Does anybody remember in the Word of God? They placed it upon his head. Now, the thorns in the crown were representative of the fall because god did not create the world with any thorns the bible says it was after the fall that thorns begin to grow i don't know if you've ever been down to south texas honey but everything on it, out down in south texas either sticks you bites you or stings you amen I go, I hunt down there every year. I got two ranches I hunt on, and I wear these big old snake boots that are come up to my knee, and I got these pants on that are, that are they're like double. They got canvas on the outside, because I'm telling you, all you got to do is turn one way or the other, and you got something sticking in you. Thorns everywhere. But Jesus willingly took that curse and that fall where upon his head. Amen. Then they took what's called the cat of nine tails, which is a long whip in which at the end of that whip they would break glass and metal and broken rock. And they lashed him to a pole. Now it was 40 stripes minus one for mercy, 39 stripes. And they lashed his back 39 times and laid bare the skin on his back. Uh, Most theologians agree that literally the beating itself would have killed him. Now remember, we're looking at the portrait. We're looking at the the gospel, what the gospel is saying. Amen. Then they took him and they they brought him to Golgotha's hill. How many know what Golgotha means? It means the place of the skull. Where was man's biggest problem? In his mind. And Jesus was crucified at the place of the skull in order to give man relief from that which the enemy was trying to do with his mind. And they laid him on a cross and they did what? They put nails in his hands. What did man's hands do after the fall? Man's hands, they learned how to war. They learned how to create crime. They learned how to do all kinds of violence. They learned how to intoxicate themselves. They learned how to abuse each other, abuse women and and abuse men. They learned all kinds of evil. He nailed the hands to the cross. Then he nailed what? He nailed the feet. What did the feet of fallen humanity do? Fallen humanity's feet would take him to the war and take him to the robbery and take him to the scene of the crime and take him here and take him to all kinds of evil. Now we look at the x-ray. We look behind the scenes. You say, what do you mean by that? We look into what the prophet said, Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgression. Your transgressions are all your individual acts of sin you'll ever perform. Everything you'll ever do. Wound is where? On the outside. He was wounded for every sin of every human being that would dare to call Him Lord. He was bruised. Everybody say bruised. Bruised Bruises inward. He was bruised for our iniquity. Everybody say Iniquity. That iniquity is the motivation that came into humanity. It is not a trait in which humanity was created to, to have. It came into the adversary, the devil, to Satan or Lucifer himself. The Bible said he was perfect in the day in which he was created until iniquity was found in him. Found in him. And the bedrock root of iniquity is selfishness. And all sin is selfishness. Me, 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 me. And Jesus took all the selfishness of humanity upon itself. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace. What that—that's the word shalom. The completeness, the wholeness of God. That God. I like what an old preacher said. I heard him say this years ago. He said when God created humanity, He put him in a garden, and He put in that garden everything that man would ever need. But when God redeemed humanity, He put the garden in Him. And gave him everything he'll ever need. That's why the Bible says, you are God's husbandry. You're his garden. You're his workmanship created unto good works. The chastisement of our peace was by his stripes we are healed. Who's the most, who's the most evil cousin of sin? Who's the most wicked? Who's the most wicked offspring of sin? It's gotta be sickness. I've walked the halls, I've been to MD Anderson, I've been to UTMB, I've been to Methodist, I've been to St. Luke's, I've been to smaller hospitals all over the world. Walking in there to go pray for some precious saint. And you walk and you see these people in these beds and they're suffering and they're suffering. And they're, that is not the will of God. Sickness and disease is not the will of God. It is the will of God that men and women be healed in their bodies because Jesus paid such an awesome price. Amen. Amen. And he hung up on the cross. One of the most amazing phenomena. You ought to study this. The earth shook violently. The Bible says for a period of three hours, darkness. Now listen to what it says in the scripture. Darkness was upon the face of the whole earth. There wasn't an eclipse. First of all, you cannot have a solar eclipse with a full moon. Passover, full moon, the Passover moon. You have to have a new moon. Plus, a solar eclipse is only visible on a band or a short swath of of, of real estate around the earth. If you've ever been in one, it's an awesome thing. I literally preached during a total solar eclipse down in Raya, Honduras, and I preached Jesus is the light of the world, and 90 children and Yoka got saved, who was a missionary, a a Dutch Reformed missionary, got saved in that meeting. The earth shook violently. The sun refused to shine. The Roman centurion that was over, over the whole thing said, Surely this must be the Son of God. No man has ever died like this. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalms 22. So why did he cry that out? Because God had forsaken him. God had turned his face from Jesus Christ And Jesus Christ, the Bible said, he breathed his last and he gave up the ghost. And he died and he went into the region of the dam. He went into Hades itself. And he suffered three days and three nights. say, what happened after that? you have to come on Sunday. You say, how can that help anybody? How can that do anything for anybody? Now, you're there in 1 Corinthians, uh, 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 2 Corinthians, excuse me. Go back again to 1 Corinthians, and then we'll go to Galatians and I'll close and we'll receive communion. Is this helping anybody? Now you've got to, you've got to you've got to get this so that it's applicable to you. You say, how can that be applicable? I see it in the Bible, Pastor. I believe it. Now notice this again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Christ sent me not to baptize, verse 17, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, least that, now here it is again, the cross of Christ. Now, this is an amazing phenomenon. Three times more than Paul talks about the resurrection, he talks about the cross. Everybody say the cross. That the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So there is an effect to the cross. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, now notice this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after the wisdom of the world, God, for after, for, excuse me. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, go to Galatians real quick. We'll chose, close with this. Galatians chapter 2. One scripture. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Galveston and Galatia. Now listen to this very closely. Chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Now notice what he's saying here. Now remember we went over red. This guy's tearing up the church. He's destroying everything that God was trying to do in the church of Jerusalem. And then read over in 2 Corinthians, he's saying, I've harmed nobody. I've defrauded nobody. Receive me. Amen. Now notice this. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the fle- that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. So here we go. This is true of every one of us, so let's use Saul of Tarshish as an example. I guarantee if there was ever any opposition against the preaching of the gospel, it was in the ministry of Paul. You know, the Bible talks about his thorn in the flesh. His thorn in the flesh was not sickness. His thorn in the flesh was not the disease or weak eyes. His thorn in the flesh was everywhere he went, somebody wanted to kill him. I mean, when he was going to Corinth to start the church at Corinth, he was telling God, I don't want to go. I'm tired of beating, being beat. I'm tired of being stoned. I'm tired of all of this. But you can imagine the opposition in his mind. You say, what do you mean by that? Every time he would get up and try to preach on grace, on mercy, on compassion, I guarantee you the enemy bombarded his mind with the thoughts of his past. You were this, you were that, you did this, you did that. You, look what you've done. Look just like he does with you. Every time you try to rise up in faith, every time you try to do something in the kingdom of God, every time you try to receive some miracle of God, the enemy gets into your mind and begins to bombard it with all of the thoughts of who you used to be and what you used to do and the failures of your present day and hour. You ever notice that? And he'll scream at you. This doesn't work for you. Remember who you used to be. Remember who, what you used to do. Now, could you imagine Paul when he's like, he's like, Lord, you know, I'm just out here trying to preach this revelation you gave me. Man, I spent all these years in the Arabian desert. You've blessed me. I've seen visions. I've had I've got read. But every time I get in the pulpit and I look out there, and it looks like one of those people that I drug out of their house. Amen. It looks like it looks like looks like somebody uh, that was there weeping and lamenting. Over Stephen's death. That looks just like them. Devil ever done that to your mind? So I don't know how Paul got it. Maybe it was just an impression by the Holy Ghost. Maybe he got it through vision. I don't know. But I could see him crying out to God. Praying in the Spirit. Saying, God, deliver me of this dilemma of my past Trying to cancel my future And cause me misery in my present Anybody ever had that problem? And Jesus in his mercy, in his grace And in his overwhelming compassion Let's just say it was a vision He shows him the cross And he shows a suffering Savior on the cross And he says, look at the cross. Your answer is the cross. There's power in the cross. There's power in the cross. And Paul looks at the cross, and he sees Jesus. And he's humbled. And he's like, it's Jesus. And he's bleeding for me. And he's dying for me. And he's suffering for me. My sin, my iniquity, my sickness, my disease, my mind. There's Jesus. And God says, look a little closer. He looks a little closer. And he sees Jesus again. It's Jesus. And he begins to worship you. He says, look a little closer. You've got to see it a little closer. So he steps up and he looks a little closer. And he sees Jesus. But then for a flash of a moment, he doesn't see Jesus. He sees Saul of Tarsus hanging on that cross. He says, I see Jesus. I see Jesus, I see Jesus suffering, I see Jesus, wait a second, wait a second, I see myself, now could you imagine what the other apostles who were at that, at that horrible torturing scene, as they stood up, take John the beloved, as he stood with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and watched the life ebb out of Jesus, as he, as he suffered like no man ever suffered, as he didn't even look like a human being, as he, as he writhed upon that cross, as his blood flowed out. Could you imagine what John thought when he heard Paul say, I was crucified with him. He probably thought, hey, I was there. I saw a thief on one side, I saw a thief on another, but I did not see you, Paul. But Paul, by the grace of God and the revelation from the Father, gave us such a powerful tool that you have to learn to use that if you do not use it, you will be bound to everything that ever happened to you in your first birth. That's why people carry things into their Christian life that they had in their sinful life because they've never recognized that the preaching of the cross is unto them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are being saved, it is the power. Well, preacher, what power is it? It is the power to die, to see you on the cross, to see yourself on that cross, dying to drug addiction, dying to cocaine, dying to prejudice, dying to hate, dying to fear, dying to cancer, being separated by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross by identifying you in everything he suffers. So, when I came back to the Lord, I came back with a lot of baggage. And as I begin to listen to these teachings on redemption, begin to read books by Dr. Kenyon, E.W. Kenyon, which I'm telling you, if you got, man, some books, you can't even hardly get through them. They're so so in debt. They're not milk. They're meat. But I began to use faith because that's the only thing you can use. You say, what do you mean by that? I begin to use faith, which is what? Faith is what you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So every day from the moment I got that revelation, I begin to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Every day I'm crucified with Christ. Every day I'm crucified with him. His death is my death. His suffering is my suffering. His resurrection is my resurrection. His life is my life. If you don't believe it in your heart, if you don't say it in your mouth, then it lays dormant on the page of this book. But the moment you begin to say it, the moment you begin to embrace it, the moment you begin to worship God for it, and the moment you begin to identify with it, that cross was my cross, His death is my death. And no, I'm not Crazy George anymore. No, I'm Rusty the pastor of Island Church, an international evangelist going all over the world preaching the gospel, building a local church in Galveston Island. And that guy that used to live, he is dead. And I'll show you where he died. Right there in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So I died to the addictions. I died to the effect of the addictions. I died to the perversion. I died to the hate, to the prejudice. I died to the hurt, the pain, whatever it was in my past life. I learned that there's power in the cross, but it must be applied. I do not understand these guys that preach so strongly against the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Honey, when I saw that in the Word, I blabbed it, and I've been blabbing it ever since. I still confess I'm crucified with Christ. Every day I confess it. You say, why? Because it puts me further and further into His death, which brings me deeper and deeper into His life. Amen? Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we worship you tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just thank Him for what He's done for you. Thank Him for what He's done for you. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. Oh, how can we thank you? A million lifetimes upon this earth would not be enough time to worship and thank you enough to glorify your name. How could a God love us so much that He would suffer in such a way that He would supply redemption so complete that you can literally declare that the person you used to be is not even alive anymore. But it's Christ that lives in you now. I like what one translation says. I was one with Christ upon the cross. And it's no longer I that lives. It's Jesus that lives upon this earth. He's just using my body. I thought that was a pretty cool translation. Gentlemen, you can come and grab the communion implements. Did anybody learn something tonight? Does that help you? Take that one scripture. There's other scriptures I'll teach. We'll get into redemption here this year sometime, and I'll show you some other scriptures. But if you'll just take that one scripture, Galatians 2.20, and begin to speak that over your life, you say, Well, I wasn't that bad of a person. It doesn't matter. How wouldn't that mean? Doesn't matter. There are everything, there are all kinds of things in our first birth that we need to die to. Things in our flesh, things in our minds, things in our geographical location, our ethnic backgrounds. All kinds of things. And even more so in the days ahead. The more we die to ourselves, the more we're alive with Him. I heard a man one time. was in a meeting. He preached on the suffering of Christ. He used a scripture. Thank you, Doc. He uses a scripture over in the book of Philippians, where it speaks of being conformed to his suffering. And so, as he began to teach on the suffering, how Jesus suffered, he painted a beauty, he was a eloquent speaker and he painted a real picture of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ then he equated our suffering to Christ's suffering and how we must suffer and he used the scripture suffering unto perfection well I don't know I I think it's just the mercy of God I guess that, that protected me but there was just something about because I used to hear so much teaching and preaching when I came back to the Lord. That it was almost immediately when I would hear something that was not scripturally correct. It was like I'd get this big old knot right under my heart. Right in my, my kind of where your stomach and your heart come to I mean, I'd have a, almost a physical knot. And I'd just almost hurt. And I'd know it was time to go to the Word. And to go to Jesus, because He is the Word, in prayer. Fellowship with Him. We talked about that Wednesday night. How we pray to the Father, but we fellowship with Jesus. And I fellowship. With him. And I remember going to Him and, 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 talk, and the Lord so gently spoke to him. He said, Rusty, He said, I hadn't called you to suffer. He said, fellowshiping in my suffering means you fellowship in the realities of that I was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was by my stripes. You are healed. Now, you need to fellowship in that. You need to meditate on that. You need to think about that. You need to memorize those scriptures. You need to keep them before your eyes. You need them not to let depart from your mouth. You need to keep them in the midst of your heart. Because they're life if you'll find them in health to all your flesh. He said, I have called you to suffer. I've called you to live. You know, the same thing's true for every one of you. Don't ever think that what you're suffering glorifies Him. It's when He breaks you loose from that suffering and imparts life to you. That's when He gets the glory. That's when He gets the glory. What a wonderful evening to receive communion as the whole earth rejoices. Isn't it amazing? It's so amazing to me, even to this day, that on Easter and Christmas, you can just about go anywhere in the world and somebody's celebrating Jesus. They're doing it in China. They're doing it in Nepal. I got a text from Pastor Paul Chase from the Philippines this morning. All my friends and everybody, t- you know, happy resurrection Sunday. I mean, it's amazing. Everybody talks about it. And people say, I don't like the commercialization of it. I don't like Easter eggs and, and all that. I don't, who cares? Give some attention to Easter. Amen. You say, what do you mean by that? Any attention whatsoever. People do the same thing at Christmas. They had a guy challenge me one time. He said, you don't have a Christmas tree, do you? I said, yeah. Amen. He says, that's just sacrilege. Okay, and he started talking about this pagan ritual and all this kind of stuff. It didn't convince me. We put one up in the church after that. <laughs> you say, Why? Well, I love celebrating. Jesus. Listen, when I'm eating that marshmallow field chocolate bunny, just in case anybody wanted to know. Hey, Amen. Did, did the church forget that? I hadn't, forgot, I hadn't gotten mine yet, so. When I'm eating my marshmallow field chocolate bunny, right, Frank? I'm saying thank you, Jesus, for Easter. You may laugh, but it's the truth. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory. Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Oh, how we glorify your name, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you Lord Jesus. Now listen, so papa says, lemekisho fratengelesti. Ambra delissimo no costolo vossa fra capara nene. Endridisti le begeze voa gendi ishole maha. Kiche mqua zembre ghida che or gela maha. sovra se fere le For these are truths and not facts. And these truths are established in my word. And they carry the same weight and the same power. And that day in which they were performed and that power was released, that power resonates in my word this day to set you free. And break you loose from any bondage of your adversary, any bondage of your flesh, any bondage of your mind. So do not take it lightly, but glorify and thank your heavenly Father above that allowed his Son to suffer in such a way that it resonates throughout the centuries and even brings power into your life this day to be free from all of that that the enemy would bind you with and live in the glorious life provided for you. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo, we receive that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now let's concentrate on one thing real quick. Because when we've been receiving communion, beginning this year, we're always emphasizing divine healing. Everybody say divine healing. So if you need divine healing, keep that in in the forefront of your mind. So now notice, we're in 1 Corinthians 11. I'll read. The Apostle Paul again speaking, For I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is not, these, these words ought to be underlined and a star put by it in your Bible, which is broken for you. Everybody say, For me. Say, For me. Say, For my healing. Say, For my healing. His body was broken. This do ye in remembrance of me. Hold the bread up. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that your blessing is upon your church, upon your body. That the endowment of power for healing came from heaven above through your Son and is still resident in your body today. As we break the bread, we thank you that every individual in here recognizes By his stripes they are healed. And in recognition, in remembrance, and in great honor and reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ, we partake of the bread. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we remember your blood. Seven times it flowed out of your physical body, from the thorns, from the prayer in the garden, from your hands and feet, from your side, from your back. The blood flowed, the blood flowed, the blood flowed. And then one time the blood was offered in the holy of holy of heaven. In remembrance, in honor of the significance of the blood that cleanses, of the blood that redeems, of the blood that purchased the church, of the blood that establishes our authority, of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we partake of the cup. Hallelujah. Now lift your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we worship you. Oh, how we glorify you. Thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. Thank you and every believer tonight. The full effect of the power of the cross will be realized in their life. Jesus, we worship you. What a God. That the man God became the God-man that is seated at the right hand of the Father. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We honor you, Lord Jesus. We glorify your holy name. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Were you glad you came to church tonight? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let me encourage you. Let me exhort you. You don't need sometimes, you know, 400 scriptures and, you know, 14 CD series. Sometimes you just need one scripture. One scripture. Galatians 2.20 is a scripture that has worked in my life so powerfully. My life is a testimony of how powerfully that scripture can work. Because in that scripture is revealed and released the power of that death. I say I like that Rusty was crucified with Christ. People say, that's sacrilege. No, it's not. It's redemption. It's truth. And all the facts of my past and everything that held me in bondage, I guarantee you the power of that cross has broken it off my life. I don't even think that way anymore. My mind doesn't even work that way anymore. You say, why? Because I've been crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Amen. Stand on your feet. Glory to God. Father, we worship you tonight. Thank you for your beautiful presence in here tonight. Oh, Lord, we just thank you for it. We worship and glorify your name. Thank you for this night. Lord, we rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your mercy. We rejoice in your kindness. We rejoice in your compassion. As we leave, as we always do, we declare, we profess, we proclaim our protection and safety. Thanking you, Father, no evil befalls us. No plague comes near our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. We as your people walk on serpents, scorpions, over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Father, as we travel out in the ocean, the airways, the highways, the railways, any way of travel or transportation, we declare ourselves protected. The righteous labor of our hands, no matter what we do, where we do it, we declare we're not subject to accidents, to trauma, to terror, to evil plans of wicked men or the, or the devil himself. Thank you, Father, that we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, give us. Give us a door of entrance. Let us speak words of life. Lord, tomorrow, as we run into people, let us be quick to recognize and realize it's Easter weekend. People are more open to invitation, more open to to, to exhortation, to be in the house of God on Sunday morning. So, Father, we thank you for a group of people that will come that have never known Jesus, that will find here at Island Church not not a great pastor, not a great church, but they'll find a loving, compassionate merciful God that will touch their heart and save their spirit man. Lord, we thank you as we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love toward you. We love you so much. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast